to two groups in this country, patriots and traitors. No middle ground. Disinformation is not simply lies or falsifications. It is the art of having your enemies say what you want them to say. Who would engage in espionage on Twitter? Who would be that stupid? Not me. It's very important to educate people about these techniques. They have the Great Reset, we have the Great Awakening. Another type of active measure is the agent of influence. And why shouldn't I root for Russia? Because Which I am. You know, it's very hard for journalists to accept that this has been going on. What do you get your opinions from? TV? Disinformation is actually a deliberately distorted or manipulated information that is uh, leaked into the communication system of the opponent with the expectation that it would be accepted as genuine information and uh, influence either the decision-making process, for example, or to influence or manipulate public opinion. I want to see these people go through misery because of their grooming against our children. Some questions remain unanswered. What is the effect of all these active measures? I did nothing wrong. Welcome to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, where we cut through the noise and help you make sense of the chaotic information space around us. I'm Griff Somke. And I'm Jay McKenzie. On this episode of the Did Nothing Wrong podcast, we're joined by journalist Robert Silverman to discuss the latest Supreme Court decisions and how harmful they're going to be for everyone but straight white Christian men. We'll also talk about the phenomenon of people leeching off of Elon Musk's need to be praised by random people on social media and much more. Thanks for joining us. Jay, Robert, how are you guys this morning? Awful. Awful. <laughs> I mean, not great. I'm mad both on and offline. Yeah. How's the air quality report where you guys are? How's the air quality? Oh, we're starting today's broadcast with the weather, are we? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Seems to be our <laughs> thing lately. <laughs> the weather now, which includes air quality. Can you breathe outside without a mask? Go. <laughs> and sources say no. Not in New York City, you can't, folks. Oh, my. According to the app, which I had to download a freaking air quality app. That's a wonderful, wonderful mm -hmm. new addition to my dystopian lifestyle brand. <laughs> Harvest that data. Yeah, it's at 163 right now in this part of Brooklyn, which means Ooh. I got to break out my COVID panic kit again and time whether or not I can just stay holed up here in in my apartment for the rest of the day without needing to go outside. I was going to, I was going to run some errands, but that may need to be put off for a day or two. It's at 163. The skies are not noticeably yellow ochre like they were whenever that was a month ago. So three weeks ago, three, three weeks, weeks ago. ago. Yeah. Oh my God. The skies are not noticeably different. It's not like you, it's not like you're, you're staring out and looking at the skyline in the movie. Damnation Alley, starring Jan Michael Vincent and George Papard from 1977 for you early George Papard and mid-Jan Michael Vincent career fans. That's um, a deep cut there. Yeah. <laughs> Google it, kids. It's a delightful movie. You can watch the trailer on YouTube. If you wait, you can probably see the whole movie on Twitter for free. Somebody will post it eventually. <laughs> <laughs> it's at dangerous do-not-go-outside levels again, and I think this is... I was reading... A story this morning that said there's something in the lines of 460, 70 wildfires currently raging in Canada right now, and somewhere in the 226, I'm going to say, range are out of control. Yeah. So mm -hmm. as the wind blows, we're just going to see this happening again and again. 
Did you get hit, Jay, in North Carolina? The lead. And the and no, I'm in I'm in Tennessee on the border with Georgia. I'm so sorry. not. I, it's Wrong. okay. I know. Wrong. I know. You you don't Wrong travel ass. down. You don't leave Brooklyn, so you don't know what states are down <laughs> here. I, I I confused my ACC schools. My apologies. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm right. Tennessee, right on the border with Georgia, and it was in the 150s yesterday. So which is you know unhealthy. And I mean, how many miles away is that? Today it's raining, so it's actually a lot better. But yeah, before that, you know, have uh, have kids, can't take them outside and play in this air. And nope. Even a few years ago, that's not a thing that I thought I had to worry about. But I thank God that climate change isn't real, because otherwise I'd be pissed at somebody. We'd really be screwed at that point. Holy, can you imagine how bad it'd be if climate change was real? Seriously, yeah. it's a yeah. mess out there. Well, speaking of mess, the Supreme Court this term seems to be doing their absolute best to enact the Leonard Leo Mitch McConnell wish list of everything you could possibly want. If you were putting together the best Supreme court money can buy, we've definitely gotten to that point now. Which they did. Uh Which they did. So we've got three in the last two days. None good. And affirmative action was struck down. I got a whole rant about that because, of course, uh, I listened to Tim Pool this morning talk about how the left are the real racist. And there's two two reasons for that. Do of we want to go through the list? And Let's go or, through or, the list. Why are the left the real racists today? OK, let's go. Let's go through the list. So the uh, apparently, according to reporting in the New Republic, a website that didn't actually operate and wasn't actually providing services, even though they claimed to. Well, the owner of said apparently not real website took offense to the possibility of maybe having to provide website services to a gay couple who, according to that new Republic reporting, does not appear to exist. But that was enough to get it to the Supreme Court. And they ruled in favor of her saying that her Christian beliefs mean she doesn't have to provide those services, which that that couldn't possibly end poorly, now could it? If it had stopped at imaginary gay couples that she doesn't have to provide services to, I think it probably would have been okay, but unfortunately this actually seems to affect real live gay people as opposed to people she made up. It's the internet trope of I'm going to invent a new type of guy who to get mad at from drill. <laughs> I'm going to invent a new type of guy and take it to the Supreme Court. Yeah. <laughs> this is amazing. Just, I, guy who jangles keys. Is that a thing? No, it's apparently they just fictionalized. They got in touch <laughs> with the person whose name is on the docket and yeah. he's married and has a kid and is not a gay man. Mm-hmm. That's the potential injury to this woman who, again, had not designed any websites for gay couples just the mere thought that she might have to and now we've in we've said a protected class is no longer protected and the right to act on one's religious bigotries is enshrined in in u.s law yeah i feel like we already had this fight several years ago and something called judicial precedent once used to apply to the supreme court but uh not sure that exists what is this judicial precedent you speak of? <laughs> the Supreme Court plays Calvin Ball. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. The rules change with every term, with every case. I mean, this has been insane. This is this is exactly what a lot of people were predicting was going to happen when Trump got those three appointees, when Gorsuch was appointed and Amy Comey Barrett and Brett Kavanaugh. 
we're in this place now where we're going to see a lot of six to three decisions along these lines. Yeah, and they are all going to harm. They are going to bring the righteous hammer of God down upon poor people, people Mm -hmm. of color, people who aren't straight. Mm -hmm. That's who's going to get hit with the unholy shit hammer that has been bought and paid for by Leonard Leo and the Federalist Society and our our good friend Harlan Crow, Mm -hmm. Nazi memorabilia liker. Yes, the Nazi memorabilia enjoyer, Harlan Crow. So we don't forget. We're not entirely sure which part he's trying to not forget, but there's definitely something to do with the Nazis that Harlan Crow does not want to forget. Right. And of course, in the midst of this two seconds, like an hour after this utterly ridiculous ruling came down, then we got hit with Biden's uh, student loan debt forgiveness plan, just sort of giant magic eraser gone can't do it big ten thousand dollars is was that how much it cost to fly clarence thomas to on, on one of these fancy shows errands or, or a trip to alaska or whatever i can't keep track of corruption that these people are engaged in it was the tax on the house that he bought for clarence thomas's mom but alito uh, alito alito school or or a prep school or what did alito do i i know he did something i really can't remember he took a seat on a private jet that otherwise would have been empty. Yeah. So it's fine. Right. Absolutely and, fine. And, and in a been... moment, and in a real, you know, like the Simpsons when they're at Camp Krusty and toasting and going, gentlemen to evil moment. <laughs> they had martinis made from glacial ice. <laughs> because of course they did. Because, of course, yeah. they did. This is just the ultimate fuck you. Yeah. I saw somebody from the National Review, and I had to double check because I honestly thought it was parody at first, but somebody saying that the attacks on Clarence Thomas are so racist. It's like, sir, have you have you read any of the reporting? By the way, we should, we should probably note Clarence Thomas did get into Yale Law School on an affirmative action plan. Yeah, going to pull the ladder up. Pull the ladder up right behind it. Mm-hmm. Been waiting to pull that ladder up for years. Now, I want to make it clear. The idea of giving Clarence Thomas, who was a student who was not going to an Ivy League school before that, you know, who came from meager means, there's a really wonderful Slow Burn podcast, which is on Slate, hosted by Joel Anderson. They did, they've did. they done a long, deep dive into the entire history of Clarence Thomas's career. I cannot recommend it more. I'm only halfway into the first episode, and yet... I will recommend it very highly. And they talk about all of this and they talk about ways in which his political orientation swung so far to the right and the reasons why. And yeah, it happened pretty much right after he got out of Yale Law School. (laughs) And let me just say, I'm in favor of saying, yes, let's put this person who normally would not have access to this kind of academic opportunity and scholarship at the Yale Law School. Great. Of the 70% of white students admitted to uh, Harvard's most recent class, I think half are sports, legacies, and rich people who donate money. So that's their affirmative action program. So yeah, either get rid of them all or get rid of or or get rid of none of them. So you pick. Right. But um, in any case, again, I highly recommend that if you want to really delve into what Clarence Thomas is. Um, yeah, Clarence Thomas. <laughs> he got his Let, I, let's uh-huh. just he got his and everybody else good luck i guess or 
really he doesn't care. That's my main opposition. That's my main point with affirmative action cases is that none of like, again, we're talking about a small percentage of the truly elite, elite, elite programs, which generally, yes, do guarantee access to wealth and power and providing as many pathways to as many people as possible into that. People saying, well, you know, these should be a meritocracy. No, they're not a meritocracy and they've never been a meritocracy. It's just deciding who gets a sliver of this incredibly expensive pot. So there are absolutely principled objections to be made to affirmative action. I am not an affirmative action expert and I'm not a 14th Amendment expert. So I will refrain from trying to unpack someone else's argument here, but you can read also, again, I'll just recommend people who are smarter than me. If you want to read Jay Kang, who has done a lot of writing on this, he will explain what his objections to affirmative action are. This is not that. This is just saying no. It's imperfect. Affirmative action, however you feel about it, it is imperfect. But it seems that at least there were good intentions behind it. Perhaps it's it's flawed in practice, but just doing away with it and setting nothing in its place relies on the best intentions and goodwill of the people who do these admissions. And I don't I don't really trust them with that. We, we know what the result is going to be. We have actual data to back up. It's going to be fewer black and brown people at these institutions. That's what happened at California's state university system when they got rid of affirmative action or race-based admissions in any way in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Enrollment declined. So that's going to be the result. Yeah, we've seen this movie before. We absolutely know. Yeah. Now, if you want to say, trying to parse then what the result of this will be is fool's errand in a lot of ways. I, I've got to get on my rant because uh, here. Go, go. Oh, well, Griff, Griff, I have a question for you. Um, yes, sir. With this affirmative action ruling taken by a Republican majority Supreme Court. Now, who do you who do you think Tim Pool said the real racists are? Oh my gosh, Tim Pool said the real racists. Well, let's see. Trump supporters hate him, so it can't be them. Us? Is Probably it us? the left. I just have yes. a feeling that that's what Tim Pool would go well, at this oh, point. So, someone on his show made the argument that though the idea behind affirmative action is that people from that come from poverty and have less access to you know better higher education, they have um, parents who are working two jobs, their nutrition is not as as well-rounded as someone who's wealthier, so their brain doesn't develop completely or as well. And it did start to get into an actual liberal defense of affirmative action. But Temple said, no, 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 I don't think it's that at all. So there's there's two things. They think it's both racist towards white people, right? It's Affirmative action is hurting white people. They're not getting the jobs they deserve. It's going to black and brown people instead. So it's racist that way. According to him, it's also racist against black people because the black people that they are simply handing these spots to at Harvard and Yale and elsewhere aren't actually equipped to handle the curriculum and the courses and everything at those institutions so they're more likely to fail. So it's ultimately going to cause them more harm. And liberals know this. So they're doing it on purpose to cause more harm. Tim Pool then brought mm-hmm. up studies and data showing the rates of retention by people of color who attended institutions of higher learning based in some way on a race-based admissions plan. I'm sure I'm sure he detailed the, the well, findings you, you, of those studies. What are these studies and data of which you speak when it comes to Tim Pool? 
<laughs> yeah. just, this is not a concept Tim is familiar with. It's <laughs> just, tr- just trust me, bro. Yeah. And he essentially came back with, they need to go into poor neighborhoods and find the, the poor people, whether they're poor whites or blacks or, or Hispanic, whatever. And they need to give them money so that they can afford to go to those schools and not do it by race. The problem is they're doing it by race and they need to just go do it to the poor people. And he put this out there as some sort of like inventive grand strategy. He invented scholarships. Today on the TimCast, Tim Pool created <laughs> college scholarships. Wow. <laughs> Fascinating. Fascinating. Yeah. He says this yeah. from his castle in West Virginia. It's yeah, uh, really I, I something. Wish. I wish. I cannot fathom. And for all of the Tim Pool reporting I've done, the thing I cannot wrap my head around is the degree of unearned confidence in his own utterly unfounded opinions. I could never. It it, it pains me. Like, if it, look, if I'm going to discuss a subject and I don't feel like I have it really knit locked down and I've spent a lot of time studying and trying to understand something or, you know, the reporter thing of where you spend two weeks on a story and then for those two weeks, you're an expert on it and you probably forget it within a month or two. But during that two week period, I did a story got back in 2016 about cosplaying airsoft tournaments. The guys who dress (laughs) up as not Civil War reenactors, but just I don't even know what you would call them. They just want to do. Just want a bit Red Dawn reenactors, for lack of a better word. They get right. dressed in full battle rattle, bring airsoft rifles. There was one in Connecticut. I spent an afternoon with them. And, you know, I did a whole bunch of study about these rifles that have been banned and how these communities formed and all these things. And so for that two-week period, I was an expert in this kind of cosplay. I've forgotten 90% of what I learned, <laughs> but I was an expert then. In any case, the point I'm making is just like today, I'm not going to expound on arguments, both legal and or societal for affirmative action, because I don't know enough. So I'm going to defer to the smart people who have studied this, reported on it, written on it, et cetera, et cetera, because I would feel like a giant fraud if I started grandstanding about something I didn't know. He does seem authoritative because he's in a room with three, four, five other guys, and they kind of halfway disagree with him at one point. And then he talks over them, shuts them down and says, no, 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 it's this way. And if they don't go, oh, yeah, you're so right. Oh, that's what a what a wonderful idea. I I can't believe I didn't see it that way. Then he's going to either fire them or never invite them back. He did yeah. have a co-host. He did. Adam Krigler was his co-host and Adam Krigler would fight with him on occasion. Now, granted, Adam Krigler is not who I would choose to be an authority on many subjects, but... At least he would argue with Tim Pool about them. He would argue with Tim Pool, and according to Adam Krigler, that's what got him kicked out the door. Doesn't Tim have a mute button for all of his guests? Isn't that isn't that something that got reported out? No, it's Crowder who has the mute Oh, that's Crowder. My apologies. I get this Crowder hits the sometimes. mute button, reportedly, when he thinks someone is being funnier than him. Mm. Mm. Tim Tim seems to like move in closer to the mic or pull it closer to him and I think everyone has kind of realized what he's doing there and he's chomping at the bit to to take over yeah Tim (laughs) tells this story and I have no idea if it's true or not which is that both of his parents told him at a young age whenever he's applying for something never to put the fact that he's one quarter Asian on any of his applications because it'll harm him now 
That is an interesting story, and it slots in perfectly with his worldview. My question, of course, is, what is Tim actually applied for? <laughs> Tim <laughs> dropped out of high school in the beginning of the ninth grade. According to Tim, he took he, he went into a GD program at some point later in his teen years, but he never finished it. He certainly never applied to any colleges. As far as jobs go, he worked retail and he worked for uh, he worked for American Airlines. American Eagle Airlines, technically, Ooh. as a baggage handler for a while. Then he did some street canvassing with a company that farmed out to nonprofits. He, by the way, he he did street canvassing, which is you know those kids on the street yeah, yeah. saying, "Would you like to sign and donate?" Right. What Tim describes that job is as the development director for a nonprofit, working at a nonprofit. Yeah, <laughs> fundraising director for a nonprofit is how Tim describes it. <laughs> or the development director or the director of events and planning at a nonprofit or I ran fundraising at a nonprofit. In the first reporter <laughs> I did, I contacted every nonprofit that he mentioned as being a company he worked for. None of them had any record of him working for them, let alone being the fundraising director. Well, now we know where the unearned confidence comes from. Right. In in in, in any case, I was like whenever he says that story, I think to myself Applied to what, Tim? I mean, they may have told him that, but he certainly never had to test that theory out, as far as I can tell, because after those jobs, he went straight into, you know, filming at Occupy when he was 25 years old. So I'm not sure you know that that's how that would have played out, Your that your one-quarter Korean, part Japanese, whatever it is, status would have somehow kept you from being given the jobs as a 14-year-old high school dropout were rightfully deserving of. If anyone wants to know more, they could go listen to Tim. Don't go listen to it. Just no, don't go no, listen. No, I no. mean, if you want to fact check me, fine. But it's what he said. It's terrible. I'm sorry. Let's, let's, let's move on to... Okay, so second Supreme Court ruling that we're dealing with here and the... Christian, not a web designer. Okay, they, they've ruled that she does not have to create a website for a gay couple. That's a precedent, right? The previous precedents, those don't, those don't matter. But nope. for this right-wing Supreme Court, that is a precedent. Where does this end? <laughs> What's going to be the next story? What's going to be the next thing? Is it going to be at restaurants? Is it going to be you can't shop here? Is it going to be I'm not going to provide health services to a Democrat? Oh, yeah. It's, uh -huh. I mean, there are going to be a raft of... Well, there are only nine states that, that actually have laws on the books barring race-based uh, criteria in, in college admissions. There are going to be a whole bunch more if they're not already queued up. I think they're going to work to get rid of the idea that there exists something called a protected class in America. I mean, yeah, the stripping of the Voting Rights Act was the first step in that. I think they will absolutely make it clear that that protected classes are unconstitutional. Yep. Which is just insane. I mean, this flies in the face of how many years of judicial decisions, of legislation, of everything else that all of a sudden, you know, Leonard Leo and Mitch McConnell with their little shopping spree have just gotten rid of. But they've, they've convinced their audience that the anti-white racism, according to them, is worse and much worse because they've been fed a steady stream of 
quote unquote reporting that tells them that that is the case, that the real threat is the anti-white racism that the liberals don't want to talk about and that they're all complicit in. And let's be clear, that is, in fact, the white nationalist project in America and has been for a long time. Yes. This is ex- like this is explicitly what Steve Saylor was writing about in the late 2000s when he outlined the sailor strategy Hmm. and the sailor strategy for those who don't know is that um is that he was going over it really came out in 2012 when he was going over Mitt romney's loss and there was immediately there was right after romney lost the the rnc commissioned a study to be like okay well how can because the 2012 it looked like there was an emerging and seemingly impenetrable democratic consensus that was forming with the country becoming more brown and with the country becoming younger there would be this was something that could not be overcome and they made they said like listen conservatives need to find a way to reach out to americans where they live and that means letting people of color letting non letting poor people letting straight letting people who are not straight letting people who are lgbtq know that the republican party is not their enemy aha good luck with that and what sailor said is no you're wrong instead of trying to cleave off some unknown percentage of this democratic constituency or historically democratic constituency all Mitt Romney needed was I forget what the actual number is it's a tiny percentage like something like 0.5 percent more of the white vote yeah so to achieve that instead of moving to some mythical center instead of mollifying the policies go straight white nationalism was his prescription his prescription was Whatever small number of minority votes you lose, you will make up for tenfold in the number of white identity voters who until now had not felt compelled to vote for any candidate. But there is a hidden white minoritarian vote out there that you can cultivate. And Saylor is a racist, but he was not wrong. No. Nope. Absolutely not. We saw the results of that in 2016. And even 2020, mm-hmm. even when even when Trump lost, the number of voters went up significantly. Now, Biden won because <laughs> that many people hated Trump and wanted him to lose. But you can't deny the fact that Trump got out the vote. No. With those racist policies. And I cannot for the, I don't know, a generation more. I don't know how we change it. And it really is starting to look like we're going to be stuck with this one for a while because we have these laws that are going to be on the books until Biden or whoever else decides to actually pack the court, like keeps getting talked about periodically, or some of these people die (laughs) and we end up replacing them. Wasn't there a, I can't remember exactly what it was, but um, somebody put out a graph and, and unless someone dies unexpectedly on the court, it seems fairly likely that the earliest that there can be a Democratic majority on the court is at least the 2050s, I think. I think it might take that long, best case scenario. Sounds right. I don't have a problem believing Republicans aren't going to Mitch McConnell is alive or dead. They're going to keep doing the same strategy because it worked. And anyone who gets his job after him is going to follow that blueprint. So as soon as it's not a Democrat, good luck. 
even if it is a Democrat and you've got a Republican Senate, good luck. So at a certain point, I when I first heard about the the theory of, yeah, packing the court or increasing the numbers on the court, I thought, well, that I don't know that that does seem pretty, pretty bold. And, and maybe that is running the risk of, oh, leading people to think that the, the court is not it's not a fair arbiter of the truth and yeah yeah <laughs> and that it's it's just going to do away with all of our norms and regular procedures and the way we've done things in this country for decades mm-hmm. and you have this generation coming up now that just got in the third big court decision of the term so far of the last two days it's been terrible they wiped out Biden's student loan forgiveness plan so you're really already facing an uphill battle to convince a lot of people in that age demographic that this is anything other than rigged. And now all of a sudden, yeah, you owe all this money again. So, and it's the billionaires who bought these seats on the court are sticking it to the pores mm-hmm. once again, because they can deal with it. Yeah. And do you just lay down and die? Because really, unless you're going to go a radical way, and let's be clear, Republicans have already gone a radical way. Yes. Punting the last 50 years of judicial precedent is radical, no matter how you slice it. That is activist. Activist judges. That thing that Republicans have been screaming for at least 20 Mm -hmm. years about these activist judges making law from the bench. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think at some point, you might see more of a consensus for the idea of expanding the Supreme Court because we're going to see so many of these six to three decisions for the next few years, at least, that we're looking at a generation coming up that just isn't going to buy the Supreme Court as a fair arbiter of anything. Or removing the court's ability to be the final arbiter over congressional congressionally approved law. And and I don't, again, I am not a law knower. (laughs) Uh, I'll recommend another another substack while I'm here. Chris Geidner's Law Dork is excellent for breaking down and understanding all these cases. I subscribe. You should subscribe. <laughs> he is an, an excellent and diligent reporter. But someone on Twitter mentioned like, okay, if, you, if there is no way to figure out how to expand the size of the Supreme Court so that it does begin to somewhat reflect the beliefs of Americans. And I know what the counter argument, the counter argument is, well, when civil rights laws were ratified by the Thurgood Marshall Court, that did not reflect the consensus of American beliefs. It was simply the right thing to do. There's a point. But well, if it's the right thing to do then, why isn't it the right thing to do now? Did yeah. the right thing to do somehow change over the last 50 years, really? Yeah, it's that you need to remove the idea that the Supreme Court can arbitrarily overturn the will of American voters. And even in instances where there is overwhelming majority support and years of, of legal precedent. They're not above it. They're not above the fray. These are not. And they're these... subjected, you know, to right. term limits. Do something. Yeah. These people cannot be given sinecures and sit. I mean, this is what happened every time they, one of these guys got busted for just shameless graft of, of, of being gifted, you know, who knows how we barely scratched the surface. I'm sure we don't know of how much the, the largesse they've received from the far right. And, and their response is, I don't care. And they yeah. don't have to care. 
because they know that they are utterly shielded from anything resembling a repercussion. The only repercussion is that the, the American public's public opinion has shifted to saying, actually, these guys are full of it. And of course, now they've got something like a 400 person private police force guarding them at all times because they're sure that actually the peasants don't like them anymore. Shocker. Shocker. But, you know, threatening them with violence is not actually going to change them. It's only going to make them more like, stop yelling, shut the fuck up at me. It only makes their opinions worse. Yeah. Keep Mm -hmm. quoting, stop quoting drill on this podcast. Even if he is the prophet for our times. That great philosopher of our times, Drill. Yes. <laughs> but term limits, removing the scope of judicial review, if not packing the court. And again, I'm stealing from smart people's ideas here. Yeah. Yeah. All of Trump's appointees sit through their confirmation hearing and say, no, Roe is the settled law of the land. Couldn't do anything about it, even if I wanted to. And then at the first opportunity, it's gone. These people are bought and paid for. Mm-hmm. They don't care what you think about them. They are clearly accepting bribes. They are angry that you would ever think less. Oh yes, than that you would have that you would harbor ill will against them. Very oh, angry. you think they? You think the old justices didn't do this? They just the people let them have their lives. They just they just let them live. And now, oh, social media and the liberals and the <laughs> oh, the deep state is after me. Yada yada yada. Well, there's this wonderful story that, like, it, I forget who wrote it. It might have been Hamilton Nolan in his Substack. And again, I'll recommend subscribe to Hamilton Nolan's Substack. But, um, you know, the thing that he was talking about, and if it wasn't him, I apologize, is like, why are people like Elon constantly posting? Why is David freaking Sachs yes. weighing in uh. on Russian politics? Why are they constantly fighting with people on Twitter? Why is this guy, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh, uh, yeah. I forget his name. His yeah. bio says he's the top Spaces host on Twitter. Congratulations. Oh, that's, that's oh, Mario, that Mario, Mario Nawal. I Mario, it was. Mario Nawal, a crypto hustler. I saw something about the FBI interested in him. Yeah, a fraud, a, a mm-hmm. literal fraudster who's been promoted to a position of prominence on Elon Musk's Twitter. And why are they constantly expounding them when they could just buy an island yeah. and be done with all and buy friends to live on that island with them and be done with all of us peasants? It's because respect is the one thing that they can't buy. That is the only thing that they cannot buy is actually having people respect them. So they will never stop posting because they are enraged at the fact that somewhere out there, there exists some wage slave chud who thinks they suck. Yes. <laughs> and I think Supreme Court justices fall absolutely into that category. Uh, that just made me think of the at least two times I'm aware of that Elon posted at a podcast host that he liked and enjoyed, and they essentially shit all over him. The first was Mike Duncan, and the last one was the guy who runs The Fall of Civilizations. Because yes, Elon, smart people don't think you're doing a good thing here. You are clearly part of the problem and smart people see through your bullshit, even if you're going to keep slinging it, but they're going to keep slinging it. The people who are promoting you and who you promote, they are profiting from you. They are sycophants and they're leeches. And Elon is either too stupid or too egotistical to realize that. 
And all he cares about is bully all of the fanboys constantly telling him that he's freaking Tony Stark. Yeah, it's not Brian Krasenstein is the Democrat that just happens to like Elon because he is just a truth teller, an independent thinker, and he just respects his opinions. It's no, this guy is a grifter mm-hmm. and a fraudster who had his home raided at one point by DHS. Yeah. And you're the meal ticket, buddy. That's it. Mm-hmm. You've got your Kim.com in those same spaces, and we all know about that guy. Ian Miles Chong. It's like an all-star grift team. All-star team of just the worst people whose goal is to get their name in front of you and get your eyeballs on them so you buy whatever it is they're selling. All of a sudden, they're thought leaders now. It's like you ran a file-sharing service, dude. Yeah. Literally, why are you qualified to comment on this kind of stuff? What? I don't get it. The problem is, is that the effect of the internet, not to sound like Tom Friedman here, but the the effect of the internet has been an incredible flattening so that everything is content. Hmm. And the only way to stand out in an era where everything you receive online is on par with one another is fandoms. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So the New York Times is a kind of fandom and Elon is a fandom and the actual, you know, coterie of weirdo Nazis. That's a fandom. And they're all on the same way. But fandoms don't run on taking in information and calculating opinions and then perceiving using that to help you perceive the world. Fandoms perceive facts as another thing to post about and fight about and dunk on each other for. And hmm. so even the best-minded of us, when we do that, and I'm addicted to it too. I do it all the time too. I get caught in this trap. It's that when we say, okay, look, a Krasenstein is acting like an idiot putting out a goddamn kid's book with a swole Robert Mueller. And we all laugh because that is a ridiculous fandom. And it's right to laugh at it because it is utterly stupid. But there are enough resistance moms who who take part in that fandom that now he's able to achieve enough prominence that he can earn a living doing that. And dunking on him still sends the traffic his way. Yes, all the traffic. That's what flattening internet consumption does. It's Mm -hmm. all the same. A dunk, a takedown, a well-reported story, an incredibly detailed investigation into corruption. A shit post. The algorithm doesn't know. A shit post. Everything becomes con- be- is flattened into this thing of content. And right. so, whoa. So if you want to talk about unsolvable problems, there's a big one because I contribute to that on a daily basis. Yeah. And there's really no good answer, like you said, to how do we get ourselves, I guess, unhooked from this stream of need content all the time. Well, maybe if we reinstate enough neo-Nazis, it'll just fix itself. Is that is that how it works? Yeah. I don't think so. Mm. <laughs> I don't think so. Well, certain people are trying it. Some, so. Somebody told this Elon will... that would help. So here we are. Good Lord. Yeah, that's a great question. How did we end up at this point? This is a depressing podcast. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Actually, there's another name we could have gone with. Welcome to... This is a depressing podcast or the depressing podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm. We just tell you up front that it's going to be depressing. Some people don't. You can stay alive while we talk. <laughs> the black pill. <laughs> the anhedonia hour. Um. <laughs> <laughs> that said, the one hope that I do have, and I hate to sound like, you know, a, a writer for the Atlantic or a boomer or whatever here, but we do have this generation coming up who just saw their student loans get, shall we say, 
frozen zapped. and then zapped again. We're starting to see the kids that grew up doing active shooter drills in their schools starting to come out of that. They're not going to have a whole lot of patience for some of this stuff going forward. And I wouldn't be at all surprised to see some wholesale changes in the way that things are done because this can't go on. This really just can't go on. I mean, step one's got to be demonetizing it and literally just taking the ad revenue down to zero if possible. Yeah. I don't know. That, that's not going to be enough, but I think that's step one. It's too easy. It's too profitable. You kiss Elon's ass enough on Twitter and it's a career. It, it, it is really like the marketing strategy is that everything Elon does is great he will eventually reply to you and retweet you and your engagement will go through the roof and you're, you're good. Mm -hmm. And before that it was Trump and before it, it's going to be one after another, it, loyalty and constant content is enough. And that shouldn't be enough. No. Uh, I, I, can I propose a Butlerian Jihad? Is that too extreme a solution? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man, anything to uplift this, right? Thanks for listening to the Did Nothing Wrong podcast. If you want to hear more, you can find us on the web at didnothingwrongpod.com. Please make sure you subscribe to get our content straight into your inbox. You can also follow us on Twitter at James, the word for, and the letter M, all one word, and Grizza BJJ, G-R-Z-A-B-J-J, as well as DNW Pod. We're extremely grateful for paid subscriptions and donations that allow us to keep doing this important work. Thanks, and remember, everyone mentioned did nothing wrong.